You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling your home to live and to sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 140. Hey guys, welcome back to the episode of the Home Staging Show. So if you're interested in enrolling in our Home Staging Professional Career Certificate, this is really the final days to do that. You can find out more information about the program by going to our website at stationroom.com slash certificate, or you can just listen to our last podcast episode. So basically last podcast episode was a workshop recording that I did where I kind of outlined exactly what I would do if I were to restart a home staging business. In the process, I use our certificate program outline, the stage path to outline exactly how I would approach it. So if you're interested in finding out more about the program, just go on our website at stageformore.com slash certificate. If you have any more questions, you can always find me on Instagram at stageformore. And also just a quick reminder for those of you who are part of our Facebook group, we are closing it down and archiving it on October 1st. But I always want to build an interactive and also very engaging community for home stagers around the world. And I just feel like Facebook group is really not cutting it. The new platform we're on, not only we have a public main lounge for everyone to hang out, but we also have our private classrooms in the back end as well. And so far, the students who are on there, they really like it because everyone gets to set up their profile. You can see if there's a stager closer to you, you can connect with. It's just much more interactive and much more engaging. So we just made a decision that we're going to retire the Facebook group and really focus on growing our community there. And the new community also has an app. So you can actually access our platform now on your smartphone with an app. So I think that is really handy as well, especially when we get to SagerCon 2022. I think it's going to be super exciting to run everything from the community. So yeah, so that's a really exciting update. So if you're interested in joining us, just go ahead, go to sagermore.school. That's basically where we have our public main lounge and also where we host our private classroom for all the courses that we have in the school. We're also in the process of planning out community talk. We have one that is being planned right now for October to discuss different ways of developing streams of income. So we already have a stager, Jennifer, signed on to do the community talk. I think it would be really exciting. We also want to organize like book clubs and stuff like that. So yeah, so come join us over at our free community and just come out to hang out at our free main lounge, basically sit on our virtual sofa. All right. So today I'm really lucky to have Elaine on the show with us. Elaine is actually one of our winners for the International Home Station Awards this year. And her company, Lemon Line, is absolutely incredible. They've been around for a long time and they've done really well for themselves in the UK market. Elaine also has a really great background. She used to be a business coach. So during the show, you will hear basically all her experience from her previous life really inform how she built her home staging business as well. I also thought that she has a really interesting business model. I really never really seen home staging businesses have active salespeople within their staff. And Elaine actually has too. So I talked to her a little bit about that on the show as well. So a little bit about Elaine and her company, Lemon Line. Lemon Line Interiors is a professional property home staging company, which works with clients all over the UK. The team are experts in presenting houses to make a memorable first impression for potential buyers and also do everything necessary to get a property onto the market looking its best, whether that be decorating and repairing work, decluttering, or changing the furniture. 
the occupied properties that Lemon and Line home staged in 2018-2019 sold an average four times faster after staging. The owner, Elaine Penhall, is an expert in this field. Since starting the business in 2012, Elaine has launched Stage Flow, a revolutionary data-driven home staging app, and her Amazon best-selling home staging book, Sell High, Sell Fast, How to Sell Your Home for the Best Possible Price in the Quickest Possible Time. All right, so we got a great show for you today. So let's go ahead and start the show. the show. So before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in staging? Thank you very much and lovely to be here. I started staging like many stages, I think, by accident. I was married for 20 years to a property developer. And when he left, he left me with some property, residential property, and four small children. And it was kind of 2008, 2009, so just post-crash. And without having any background in property, I had to work out a way of getting the best rentals and the best sales on the property that I had so that I could make sure that everything, as far as the kids were concerned, we could afford to pay the bills. So I started just making sure that everything I was renting and selling looked as good as possible. From there, friends began to ask me to help. And eventually, kind of several years on, I was working with quite a lot of local estate agents on a very casual basis. They'd phone me and say, could you come and have a look? And without even knowing that there was a term home staging or at that point that it was such huge business in other parts of the world, I set up a business, no clue at that point. How do you price this? You know, what is it? Because there was no blueprint, no blueprint, no model in the UK to follow. So I was basically making it up as I went along because I've got too many children not to work. <laughs> exactly. That is really amazing. This UK market is so different, I feel like, mm. in the States. I mean, there's obviously a lot of similarities, but it's still quite different. So when you were starting out, for example, you just said you have no idea how to do anything because there's really no model. So how did you figure it out? Like, how did you figure out pricing, for example? How did you figure out what to buy, where to buy and all this stuff? Luckily, I fell into this relatively late career and I've had other businesses in the past, mostly in business coaching. That was my background prior to this. and. What I knew is that sometimes you just have to dive in with both feet. Sometimes you just have to go for it. And I knew at the beginning that it was inevitable I would get things wrong. I also had a very strong network of friends, family, professionals, so estate agents, architects, surveyors around me that I built up around this investment portfolio that I had. When I didn't have a clue, I would just pick up the phone and say to somebody, I need to use you as a sounding board. And I think for me, you know, that is really good advice for anybody starting any business. Just make sure that you aren't afraid to pick up the phone and use other people to help. And of course, you know, sometimes it wasn't right. Sometimes I didn't make any money. Sometimes I spent far too long doing a job, but I kind of figured it out. 
I had a couple of friends who would come and help me doing installations at that point. We laughed a lot. We drank a lot of coffee and kind of worked out how to do it. Trade accounts, where did I buy from? Trade accounts were really hard to find out where to go in the beginning. Like a lot of stages, I bought some retail to begin with, which obviously was expensive then into our pricing model, non-existent pricing model. I bought a lot of charity things in what's now, you know, the stages who are now doing kind of sustainable staging and talk about upcycling in their businesses as a great business model. Of course, it's a brilliant business model, you know, and really, really important with given the environmental concerns that we have now. For me, at the beginning of the business, it was an option that made it cost effective. And for me, the upcycling was simply about being able to buy things, pieces that were cheap, relatively speaking, in charity shops, and then painting or reupholstering and that kind of thing. That's amazing. And actually, yeah, one of our podcast listeners had asked that question about upcycling, like how can we make our staging business more green? And it was something I was always like, I don't really know a lot of people who are doing it actively. This is actually a perfect opportunity, a happy accident to talk more about that. So it sounds like that's how you started building your inventory. It's purely by upcycling. Yes, right at the beginning when I didn't have any money for furniture because... I've built the business organically, so we haven't had any outside investment. I was lucky enough to be able to do some intercompany loans from my other businesses at the very beginning, but really there wasn't any spare money. So I would just go to the local charity shops, buy pieces, so wooden dining tables were a perfect example, which were mostly hideous, that kind of very orange pine that was really fashionable in the UK, certainly in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, hideous. But of course, you know, with a sander and a pot of paint, then you could make them look really fantastic. And because our market is mostly country properties, we don't do very much work in the cities because of where we're situated then they were perfect pieces. Likewise, I have a friend actually who set up a business making curtains and cushion covers and that kind of thing. And that business had grown quite significantly. And I would take pieces that needed reupholstering to her and say, what should we do? And she would say, well, I tell you what, let's make some loose covers. So she would make some loose covers for chairs, for example, dining chairs or small sofas. And we'd put loose covers on, buy a few cushions or make a few cushions, and they looked amazing. So, you know, that was how I started out. It's been challenging to ensure that we retain those sustainability credentials, those very green credentials, as the business has grown, because inevitably we've grown very significantly. And now we buy a lot of furniture. So we have to be very careful about we buy what we need rather than what we want so that we know we've got a use for things. We're not storing a lot of, we are, we've got a lot of stuff in storage, but they're in constant turnover. We still recycle or upcycle where we can. So pieces of furniture will come in and they're just not fashionable anymore. Maybe we bought them five years ago and they're just not fashionable anymore. So we'll change handles, you know, the kind of the knobs on drawers, the handles on drawers, will paint so that they become just much more in tune with trends today. So we do a lot of that still. 
And then we recycle all the packaging and all of those things where we can. And I think that staging and renting furniture, which is what we do the majority of the time into our projects, has a great basis for being a sustainable business in any case. We're not buying unnecessarily. We're encouraging people to rent. We're buying pieces that will rent on. We're buying very classic pieces, for example, that are not one project and then chuck, that we can continuously reuse them. And on that, that's also, I think, is a strong marketing differentiation as well, because I'm not actually seeing any staging company talk about sustainability in their conversations. It's actually something important we think about because we do produce a lot of waste. Just by, you know, ordering furniture, there's a lot of packaging material. Some of those things are not able to be recycled at all, like styrofoam. I hate styrofoam. Mm. They come in huge pieces Oftentimes, it doesn't fit in your trash can, so I have to dispose them in a very special way or a different location. And also, they're not compostable, they are not recyclable, and it's really wasteful. Yeah, I'm completely with you. And we have a good relationship with a local recycling company and have different bins for different things to make sure that as much as we possibly can is recyclable. But it is difficult. We reuse a lot of the packaging, so the big plastic bags, for example that are wrapped around a lot of the furniture inside cardboard boxes. We reuse those big bags literally until they fall apart for putting in small pieces of furniture, lamps, for example, duvets, pillows, you know, the big bags of cushions, we'll transport cushions in those and do as much as we can. It's not perfect. I don't think any business is at the moment, but certainly I think by having it top of mind, really, in what we're doing is important. I do love that. So it sounds like you have grown significantly because I went on your website, you have quite a few different people on your staff. So tell yeah. us a little bit about your staging business now. Like what is the operations like? Okay, so the operations now, I mean, first of all, as many entrepreneurs and having set up multiple businesses in the past, I know that what I'm really good at is the kind of the big ideas. And I get very excited about that. I know that what I'm completely useless at is the detail around the admin. So the first person that I brought in when the business looked as though it was actually going to take off as though it had legs, I brought in Kirsty, who's still with me, who started out doing admin part-time. Very quickly, that became a full-time role. Then she went into project management and now works alongside me as business development. And then to back all of the other tasks as we grew, we've now got two people who are purely sales. I still do some of the sales, but I've got two team members who are purely sales. Both of them are ex-estate agents, so they understand completely the property market. They understand the language, if you like, they, they know how to have those conversations. So when a job comes in, they will be the first contact and go out to see a client or a new agent that wants to work with us. And then once the quote has been agreed, we then have currently two people, one full time and one who was full time with us. And now she's gone back to contracting for her kind of personal circumstances, but she's mostly with us full time. But they put together the actual projects. So they put together the furniture, they put together all the lamps, the accessories, the artwork, the cushions, everything, and get it ready in our warehouse, ready to go out 
We have a warehouse manager who makes sure that everything is in really good condition. You may have seen on our social media over the last two or three weeks that we've just put racking in our biggest warehouse. We've got two warehouses and in a bigger one. We've just racked it. So we've got floor to ceiling racking. And our warehouse manager has now got the headache of relocating everything. <laughs> but his role really is to look after that side of things for us so that we can just go in, know where everything is located. And also in our electronic inventory, make sure that everything is logged in there and, and we keep track of it. And then from there, we use currently, and this is just changing at the moment, we use contractors to collect all the furniture to then take it to site. And we have a team of what we refer to as dressers who do the installations, who just follow the removal stands, basically, and then make sure it looks amazing before we come away. And then we've got two people in the office who essentially are just doing all the client contact, invoicing, you know, all the endless tasks, you know, where are the keys? Where are we supposed to return the keys? How much furniture does this buyer of the property want to buy with the sale? You know, all of those tasks. So we've got a great team. I'm really interested in the kind of a US model for the bigger stages of how those things fit together, because clearly you've got sales, you've got design, you've got logistics, you've got admin, you've got big areas to cover. And it's definitely working better for us to have those roles broken up. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that is really the ideal, right? It's mm. how really a proper business is. Because mm. It's impossible for one person to wear so many different hats. Mm. It makes more sense to really focus on the strengths within each team member and together you guys can be stronger. And actually, I was about to ask you the same thing. How do you make the communication cohesive? There's so many moving parts. There's so many different personalities. And you have sales, you have admin, you have all these different departments. How do you talk to each other, essentially? <laughs> it's a constant challenge. <laughs> Fortunately, we like one another. I very much recruit people on a value set rather than a skill set, which comes really from my coaching background. Originally, I worked, I've done a lot of teamwork in big corporates and seen that one of the difficulties when you recruit people on qualifications and skill set, that you don't always get the right fit of personalities. So I've had the luxury, if you like, being able to recruit my team on a value set, on a, on a personality, and then to train the things that we need them to do. I mean, of course, somebody has to have an attitude and a real will to do it. But, you know, once you've got those things, you can teach so many of the skills, I think. In terms of the communication, it's one of the things, actually, that we talk about quite a lot. We have a weekly team meeting that everybody comes to where we can share that's usually about an hour and that's just really an, an ops meeting so we just talk about projects that are live what stage each one's at and any challenges that are either there to be fixed or we think might come up within a project we run a paperless office so everything is cloud-based so it doesn't really matter where we are and we use slack and that works really well with us because we can have a channel for each project and we have channels you know where we can just speak to one another over that and it tries to capture it all in the communication threads all in one place but it, exactly as you're alluding to sometimes things fall between the cracks and then you go oh 
No, it's such a struggle sometimes. Our team, obviously we're a virtual school, we're online school. So our team of three, even though we're all get along with each other very well and we document everything and we use Voxer, which is like a walkie-talkie app. If we had to get immediate feedback and stuff, we don't use Slack, we use Notion. We try Slack and I think Slack became too confusing for our operation. It mm-hmm. probably works really well for yours because you can do it by project. And I know real estate yeah. agent teams use it as well. They do it by listing as well. I think that works really well. Yeah. But it is a constant challenge because things still fall through the crack. Mm-hmm. And because we're not in an office together all the time, right? Same thing with staging yeah. companies. You're never going to be under the same roof until maybe the team meeting. Yeah. So there's still going to be a lot of nuances that fall through the, the mm-hmm. crack. So we try... But also, I think as a manager, I try not to have too many meetings either because I hate Mm. those meetings where it could have been an email, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Me too. I'm not very good. I don't sit still for very long. I have a very, very short attention span when it comes to things that don't seem particularly relevant to me right now. So I strongly encourage my teams to have meetings with the people that are relevant to that meeting or to just pop in and have a conversation with them I hate the whole email thing unless it's information so I would much rather somebody picks up the phone or goes to see another team member than just kind of constantly emailing but if it's something that needs documenting then slack works well for us by property but yeah I think it is a, it's a constant challenge I think the the things that fall between the cracks I'm quite relieved to hear you say that because I think you always look outwards to everybody else's business don't you and think oh gosh that that never happens to them and oh my goodness you know this is a disaster and then you start to realize and I've got the advantages to say you know of having run other businesses you do realize that everybody has those challenges we very much try and run a whole kind of no blame culture. You know, I'm very keen to have a no blame culture in the office so that everybody can just flag up, oh, I got this wrong. Can we fix it? Yep. And everybody just gets things fixed because I've seen so many corporates where team members are afraid to flag up a mistake at an early stage because they think they'll be blamed for it. And then, of course, it just rolls on and becomes a much bigger problem so you know I, I quite like it when people come to me and say oh I made a complete mess of this <laughs> well actually you celebrate it instead I think you're really right on because it also is a very toxic work environment and people are constantly on edge I mean Martha Stewart for example she's a tyrant at work like she's terrible to work for those kind of devil wears Prada type of bosses are really kind of the old-fashioned I think and mm. it, even though it instills a lot of fear in their subordinates or their employees, but I think it's very actually a very unhealthy way oh. of going about things. Yeah, completely, completely. And exactly as you say, the staging world is a very challenging environment in any case that we're dealing with people who want quite sophisticated, quite complex problems. Or I've just brought somebody who has background in events management into my team. And she is looking at it, you know, and going, wow, because actually we're running almost a major event some weeks, three or four times a week. Something that in, you know, if it were a were a big party, for example, a wedding, a ball, you know, any of those things, 
with the same amount of money being thrown at it, then actually it would take months of planning. We are planning it from end to end in two weeks, mostly. At the same time, you're dealing with a client, with your vendor, who is in probably one of the most stressful events of their entire life, not just with the house move, but in many, many cases, we're dealing with people who are divorcing, who are relocating, who have suffered a bereavement. So they have all of those stresses going on at the same time. And you're dealing with an estate agent or a developer, for example, that's got very significant financial investment potentially in the sale. And so what's already a complex event and you're managing all those emotional undercurrents at the same time, coupled with big financial win-losers going on, you know, Like a disaster waiting to happen. It's it's like one of the perfect plot for a drama. (laughs) All the tension that goes into it. Absolutely. I did a lot of work in my coaching world around emotional intelligence and how people deal with different situations, you know, the whole kind of emotional intelligence underpinning. And this this business is just the biggest kind of example of where you need to be bringing emotional intelligence at every single level, every single day to play. It's just, (laughs) I think it's a real challenge. And I think we underestimate that. I think we underestimate, you must see it, where you get people coming into the school who are very new in their staging careers and who have a belief that because they like interiors, And because they like design and because they've got a good eye, that staging is the world for them. And the minute they hit this kind of brick wall of business reality, it's terrifying. I think we haven't, certainly in the UK, we haven't yet got the message out there sufficiently that what we do is in terms of interior design is minuscule. In terms of running a very complex business with many, many, many moving parts, that's the skill set. You can buy this bit in, but a stager needs to have this skill set. I mean, in my case, you know, I'm buying in that design. I'm lucky I've got a good eye naturally, but no training whatsoever. But I can do the moving parts bit. And I think we need to certainly in the UK, we need to be getting that message out there more strongly, both in the staging world to do justice to people who want to come into staging to really help them, and also to vendors and to estate agents and developers, so that they're actually valuing what we do beyond waving our magic wand and and putting in a few lovely cushions (laughs) that they want to pay tiny amounts for and they would only have to come and spend a week with us to be going I need to lie down now (laughs) exactly that's what we're trying to do here at our school a lot of issue I mean I'm not going to go on my soapbox and I'm halfway up already I I do think there's a huge gap in the industry right now in the education space is that we're not preparing sagers well enough to go in Mm. to do the real world you know because Mm. People have a lack of understanding of how much business skills you actually need mm. to run the successful yeah. home staging business. Yeah. And that's why we're rolling out our career certificate 
program. I know it's whopping nine months. People are going to be like, what? It's like a master program. But you actually do. You need a lot of business training and not just training, but also hand holding in a way as well, because you don't know what you don't know. And what you don't know can cost you a lot. It can definitely cost you tears and stress and sometimes money off from your bank account. So those are some of the things we're trying to prevent. But also, I think by training better stagers going working in the industry, we are also going to elevate, in general, the level of professionalism out there. And so agents are going to take us more seriously as well. So I think it's really education all around. It's it's very complex as well, I feel like. Mm. I completely agree with you. I couldn't agree more. It really is elevating the whole industry to get the credibility that we need within the estate agency business as well so that they don't see it as a nice to have, but as an absolutely essential property marketing tool without it you know they shouldn't be listing property it needs to be done yeah and I know for the UK market it's really difficult because you guys are still fairly in the beginning stage a lot of estate agents still don't want to stage they don't really know what it is they don't understand and it feels more like a chore from the higher stager versus Mm than something that needs to happen with their listing. So how do you overcome that hurdle when you're working? The challenge for many UK estate agents is exactly that they don't yet universally see the need for staging. And they believe that by engaging with a stager prior to listing a property, it's going to take a long time. So it's going to prevent the property being listed for quite a long time. And it's also going to be another expense for their vendor. And vendors in the UK are used to paying something around 1% as a listing price, which is tiny, I think, compared to a lot of the rest of the world and doesn't allow for staging costs to be absorbed within the estate agency costs. So stages are still an add-on rather than part of the core business of selling a property. And I mean, I would love to get to the point where we're part of that core business, but you know, I'll probably have retired by then. In terms of how we get to new agents, I've been very lucky. I've worked incredibly hard right from the very beginning of the business just to essentially cold call. Just who do I want to work with? And I'll do my research. I've always done the homework to identify the agents that I want to work with, the properties where the type of properties where I believe I can make a difference. And I think that's an important element of running a staging business, that you know exactly what your niche is. We're certainly not trying to be stages to the whole property market. We pitch ourselves in the premium market and very much in the out-of-town premium market, if you like. That's what we know. That's what we're good at. That's where we've built our niche. And that gives us a clear target audience of estate agents, both the nationals and the local independents, the kind of higher-end local independents. And to begin with, I literally would just go through their listings on Rightmove. I can help with that one. This is roughly how much it will cost you. This is the time frame. Are you interested? And just do that 
endlessly. And of course, you know, they all go, oh, don't know what staging is. No, it's too expensive. No, I can't sell that to my client, you know, whatever. Including one of my sales team now, who I had exactly that conversation with when she was still an agent. And she said, oh, no, I don't think I can sell that to my clients. Anyway, a couple of years later, she came to work for me. <laughs> so clearly she's just a way of doing it. But yeah, it's tough. Now we are lucky. And as I say, you know, we've worked extremely hard at it and gone through that phase and because of where we've pitched ourselves in the market you'll know that my book was published last year last October which is the first UK title to speak to vendors about staging in the UK and then clearly we've worked very hard to build a brand if you like and we spend money on PR on SEO and we're lucky enough to be in a position now to be able to do those things and so people come to us more now it's relatively unusual that we'd have to go out and find a new agent because we want new business the business comes through the door but of course I still drink a lot of coffee eat a lot of chocolate biscuits and go and visit a lot of people (laughs) just to keep relationships with agents going because it's very easy to to forget about staging in the UK market if we're not constantly in front of them. You know, we send them things, we chat to them, we just pick up the phone through the whole pandemic lockdowns. I would just pick up the phone. You know, most of my staff were furloughed and I'd just be calling agents and say, hey, how are you doing? And I think it's really important just to make sure that those relationships are strong rather than that you're constantly being a salesperson, you know, trying to get business that you actually care about the people that you work with. That's really important. Yeah, I think that old school of sell, sell, sell is really out of the window now. And now people, especially I think the younger generation, they really want to develop a relationship with Mm. the people they do business with. So even though there's a sales transaction, they still want to make sure that there's a person behind that sale. And I love what you said about niching down. I think your business coaching background came in really strongly to set up your staging business. And I also love actually your business model because I think it's really rare to have salespeople on staff. So do you want to talk a little bit about that as well? And I also find that super fascinating. They used to be estate agents. Oh, and also for listeners who are not in the UK, just so you know, vendor means home sellers in the UK. So if, in the States, when we say vendor, people think a furniture supplier or, you know, people like that. Uh, okay. In the UK, yeah. vendor actually means home seller. So for yes. those who are listening, who are not in the UK, that's what I mean. There is a, that kind of translation thing. And actually, that's a really good example, Cindy, of why I have estate agents on my sales team. Because every industry has a language associated with it. and I mean, it's classic kind of sales technique, isn't it? And I'm sure you talk about this through the school as well. You know, classic sales technique is to make sure that you're getting into the headspace and on the same wavelength as the person that you want to buy from you as quickly as possible, both on a personal level and on a professional level. And one of the ways that we do that, that we all do that, is by matching language. and. If we go in as stagers, not clearly understanding the language that estate agents use and the things that really resonate with estate agents, the things that are really important for them in their working day, in their relationships with their clients and what they're doing. If we as stagers 
don't understand that, then we can't get those estate agents to want to work with us. It's really hard and very easy to appear to be just trying to sell to them, but not really caring about them. So bringing estate agents in gives me an automatic, it's a whole chunk of training I don't have to do. You know, I don't have to teach them about listings and commission structures. I don't have to teach them about compliance. I don't have to teach them about valuations, market appraisals, you know, any of that, because they know all of that from their background already. All I have to do then, and the estate agents that I employ, have already seen through their estate agency careers the problems of selling properties with poor presentation. They've already seen that absolutely firsthand over and over and over again. So they're already bought into the idea that staging is the marketing tool. So when they come to us, then what I'm literally then having to do or you know, the only bit I'm really having to do is to talk about the structure of the business, talk about the structure of how we stage something and how that works. And we are unusual in the UK market in that we work pretty much 50-50 with occupied properties and vacant properties. You know, my sales team can go into either scenario and work with the client, whether that's the estate agent or the, the vendor, the home seller, to actually work out what their budget is and what we can do within that to get the best results. Yeah. And also because they were estate agents, they probably know which offices are better than worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some yeah. maybe some yes. offices not worth your time going after because they're just no. all and, and- And have fantastic networks in that world, you know, just fantastic networks. Kate, who heads up our sales team, was running a Knight Frank office in Birmingham when I first met her and knows everybody in that kind of level of estate agency in certainly across the Midlands in the UK, which is where the business is based. But also when we work further afield as well, she's got fantastic networks. And that's really, really paid off. That's amazing. So how far do you service? Because I remember when I emailed you about your home stager directory listing, and then you wrote back saying UK is your entire service area. Do you really service the entire country? Yes. Yes. So we service the entire country. <laughs> that is like mind-blowing <laughs> Didn't start off like that. I started off thinking, oh, this is something quite nice I can do from home and I can, you know, do kind of 50-mile radius and that will work. And then we were the first, I think, the first UK stager to have a formal agreement with one of the premium estate agencies so with Fine and Country, and because they are a national agent and growing rapidly, we work well with them, they work well with us, we all understand one another, and we have then 
been able to grow through their network to the point now where we will literally go anywhere. We have a huge advantage of the business being based in the middle of England, pretty much. And we're very central to the motorway network and that kind of thing. So we can get most places in kind of three hours. So it's not like serving the whole of the state. <laughs> it's not quite that scale. The UK people have a higher tolerance for commute because when I first moved to London, I was talking to this guy I was dating. I was like, well, half an hour commute seems a long time. He's like, no, half an hour commute is really good. Like there are people who commute two hours one way on the train to come into the city to work. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up on the east coast of England, very much in a rural location. And in those days, the roads over there were hideous. So we were used to getting in the car and going for hours to get to school, for example. You know, it took me an hour on the bus to get to school for the whole of my school life. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you coordinate all this logistics? I was really fascinated by how you partnered up with a premium estate agency in the UK. Can you talk a little bit about the process? What is it like? to get a client like that? And how has that shifted your home staging business? The kind of the longer version of the story of how that came about was probably very early stage of the business. So maybe six, seven years ago, probably even maybe just before I set the business up as a standalone business, when I was still doing it under my investment business. And I picked my youngest daughter up from a party, from a birthday party on the weekend, wearing jeans and a shirt that I've got paint all over. And they lived in this fabulous house, really gorgeous house. The mother, as I was picking up my daughter, said, what do you do? Because obviously most of the mothers were turning up, you know, with kind of beautifully coiffed hair and, you know, makeup and all the rest of it. And I turned up in my painted jeans. And I said, oh, sorry, you know, I'm really sorry. I've just come from work. Well, what do you do? Well, you know, and I was explaining to her staging before we even had a word for it in those days in the UK. About... Two years later, three years later, she called me and said, could you come and have a look at my house? I want to list it, but I've got three teenagers, as I knew, and I really need some help. Both she and her husband were hospital consultants, so very high-powered jobs, never there, three teenagers. And it turned out that they were wanting to market the property with an estate agent, a premium estate agent that I had wanted to work with in very early stages of business. And I had messaged him on numerous occasions, couldn't get past his secretary or his receptionist on the phone who just didn't want to know, basically. So, you know, you kind of pitch every now and again, and then you kind of think life's too short. And anyway, so I got this property ready for her. We got the property ready. And then the estate agent that I wanted to work with held an open day. So I just made sure I was there on the open day and explained to him, you know, who who I was and what we'd done. And he walked around and he goes, this is very polished. And that was it. After that, and we're actually still great friends, but then because of where he was sitting within the, he was Fine and Country agent and because Fine and Country were growing through a licensed model or are growing through a licensed model in the world now, he went down to one of their London meetings and said, look, I've got this amazing tool in my toolbox for getting my properties ready. Why don't you use it? So they actually then came to me and said, 
can we talk? And there were several iterations, several iterations of that where it was just not, it just wasn't great. It didn't work very well because they didn't really know what they were doing in terms of working with us, you know, with working with the stager. We didn't really know what we needed to ask for because we didn't have the experience of working with a company at that level. And so it took several goes where you go, this is costing me a lot of money and not working. And I'm sure they were thinking, oh, this is just such a hassle and we're not earning out of it what we wanted to earn out of it, you know, all of those things. But we've kind of hung in there and now it works really well. So we have a really, really good relationship with them. And at the same time, staging generally has taken off much more over the last few years in the UK, as you know. And so the whole conversation has become much easier than it was. I love that. I think that's the challenging thing is to make sure that when you're partnering up with a real estate agency on that level, both sides of infrastructure needs to be able to match and yeah. work well together. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of growing pains. Yes, yes, that's entirely true. And I think that the UK staging industry still has a lot of growing pains. I don't know what it's like, you know, in the States now, whether that's kind of a smoother transition, but certainly there are still a lot of growing pains. And I think that what we all have to be prepared for is those growing pains that are sometimes expensive in time, sometimes financially more expensive than you would want them to be. And I think we have to be able to deal with them with a degree of humor and a willingness to sort it out, to move forwards rather than kind of throw up your hands and you know just go, this is never going to work. I think we have to just recognize that we are in an emerging industry and inevitably that's not going to be a smooth passage. Yeah, exactly. What does your sales team does? What are some of the activities they do all the time? So we have various lead generation tools. So they will monitor the leads that come in and make sure that the lead generation tools are doing their work. So those might be social media. We have a scorecard that we host on the website that we have. So those would be the cold leads, if you like, people coming to us, our SEO as well. We make sure that we're monitoring that. We periodically will do Facebook ad campaigns, that kind of thing. And then they will be monitoring the new properties that are coming onto the market via the portals, so particularly Rightmove in the UK, and they'll be monitoring the new properties that are coming on in particular areas over a particular value. Their searches are kind of flagging up of new properties is fairly carefully curated, so that we're not wasting time looking at a lot of stuff we don't want to do. And then they'll be making calls to those agents and just really trying to trigger new business coming in. At the same time, they'll be just reaching out to the estate agent offices that we work with on a regular basis. Those officers might have put something really interesting on social media. We'll try and monitor those and just phone up and say, hey, wow, what a fantastic sale you got on that particular house. Well done. And nothing more than that, not trying to sell to them, but just, again, building those relationships, keeping the business top of mind, if you like. Might be that they've brought in, one of our officers has brought in 
couple of new sales negotiators. So we'll want to touch base with them. Hey, can I make an appointment? Can we have coffee with you? So those things are going on all the time, as well as picking up the people that are coming to us and saying, could you look at this property for me, whether that's an agent or whether it's a vendor or home seller directly, picking those up, booking appointments, going out to see them, coming back, making sure that the quotes go out within 24 hours, which is our metric on that. We've got the kind of metrics, time metrics on everything. So making sure that those go out and then just following up, constantly following up to see where somebody's thinking is that project. It's all about following up, isn't it? It's all about picking up the phone and call. And it's funny because some of our incoming stagers students are a bit younger and they're definitely afraid of the telephone. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> we laugh, but millennials, they hate the telephone. I, mean, I went to, I did my master's degree, you know, I had classmates who were in their 20s, basically 20 years younger than me. And they're like, yeah, I never use the phone. They use the phone to do everything else but the phone. Yeah. Like, but the phone. Phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really, really do strongly believe that there is nothing that replaces having a conversation with somebody. You know, you can message all you like. You can message on any app you like. You can email. Nothing replaces that. Hey, how are you? Can I come and talk to you? When would you like me to come and see you? And getting in front of people face to face, which obviously we haven't been able to do over the last kind of 18 months. But, you know, we found ways around that. But really, I think it makes such a difference. It really does. Yeah, it's very old fashioned selling, but I think it still has a very strong place. And I think that the people, the stages who are and will be successful other stages that are willing to just get out there and talk to anybody and not mind rejection because inevitably you might get a hundred no's and then one yes. But if that one yes is a really good yes, then you just go, Ooh, this is it. <laughs> How many properties do I need? That one is amazing. <laughs> exactly. Right. You just really need a few very good clients who are consistent and that's it. That's all you need. And so it sounds like you are doing quite a bit still during COVID, during lockdown. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? How has that impacted your business? And has that changed the way you do business now? Yes, to some extent, it's given us new tools that we use more effectively than we did before. We've been very, very lucky. And when the whole housing market in the UK closed completely last year. So it closed down beginning of the COVID thing and we couldn't do anything. And at that point, I um, kept on myself and one other member of my team and we were allowed to furlough the rest. So they were being paid. I don't know how that whole thing worked in the States, but we furloughed some of the team. So we were lucky in that respect. We had already got on the back burner. You know, the things that you always have that you think, oh, well, when I've got time, then we'll launch that. Or when I've got time, we'll spend a bit more time thinking about that. Now, two of the things that we'd got on the back burner, one was a what we referred to as a remote staging package. In other words, a homeowner could send us photographs or video of their own home, and we would then go back to them virtually. And we'd already designed the whole package for that, but we'd never really launched it. We'd used it, we tested it, 
we'd never really launched it just because we were so busy and we didn't have time. So we were able to get that out there. So that was already there to go. So that enabled us to reach people who were sitting at home, looking at their four walls, thinking, oh, I really, really want to do something about the house. They didn't even need to have to be thinking about selling at that point. They could just be just wanting to change the four walls that they were sitting in at that point. We had also been talking to a number of people who do virtual staging about how we might blend their service in with what we do. I'm very big on collaborative partnerships in business and I didn't want to do the virtual staging, but I wanted to find good people that we could work with to do that. And it gave me a bit more time to go out and do that. We did a whole lot more of that then. So where we knew, for example, that some of our normal developer clients were coming to practical completion on their sites, just as COVID hit, we were able to offer them virtual staging so they could start their marketing without actually going back on site at that point from all their floor plans and and things that they were doing. So we did all of that. I was then literally just picking up the phone. A lot of our estate agents work on a self-employed model rather than a corporate model. The corporates you couldn't get to because they were all furloughed. The self-employed estate agents you could get to. So I just went through my whole little black book, as it were, called everybody. Hey, how are you doing? God, it must be awful. You know, what are your challenges right now? What's your thinking? What do you think the market's going to do? How many vendors have you got that really, you know, being affected by this? How many sales have you got in the pipeline that are being affected by this? We would just talk. You know, I talked about people's dogs, people's children, people's cancelled holidays, everything, absolutely everything through that. And of course, you know, exactly as you've just said about picking up the phone, that paid off in bucket loads as soon as things lifted again, because people remembered that you cared about them enough to call them through, you know, when things were tough. And people would come to me and say, look, you know, I hadn't really thought about staging before, but this property is coming onto the market. Would you mind having a look? And so we got a lot of business like that, coupled with, of course, the complete madness of the property market when the whole lockdown thing lifted and everybody wanting to move to the country. Country properties are our main market. So things just fell into place for us. We had, even though we couldn't work for three months of the year, we had the best year that we've ever had. And now, of course, now we can work. We've got to match that. And I'm going, oh. <laughs> No, I love that. I think that's a really good example of finding ways to pivot and then still grow your business and just basically getting ready, getting yourself ready until the business is ready for you. Yes. And I think not sinking into a hole. It would have been very easy on a personal level. It would have been very easy for me to sink into a hole. My youngest daughter has cystic fibrosis and she had just gone to university and cystic fibrosis because it's a respiratory disease. Then it was one of the ones where those people, you know, anybody suffering from it were classed as extremely vulnerable and basically you couldn't go anywhere. So she came home from university. We literally couldn't go out. We had to disinfect all the shopping when it came in. We couldn't get food in the house for love nor money, you know, because everybody was too busy and nobody could do it. You know, I mean, it was hideous. And it would have been very, very easy to sink into a hole. So I think, again, I've had businesses in the past. I've come through a whole lot of 
difficult situations in the past and you know that actually you can sink into your hole or you can decide to use an opportunity that most people won't be using right now. And that was what I did, you know, just to use it as an opportunity. Even when you got up, you know, you just didn't want to get up in the morning. You just go, oh, this is never going to work. I hate it. I don't want to do this. What happens if Bobby gets COVID? You know, all those kind of things. Now you think, woohoo, we did it. <laughs> That is amazing. Like any business, isn't it? You know, there are always challenges, and the difference between a successful business and a business that doesn't succeed so well is just your ability in those tough times to go, oh, I've got to do it. I've just got to get on with it. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. This has been such an amazing hour talking to you, and then we're coming close to our the end of our show. I cannot believe it. How fast time flew this hour. So to close out our show, what is the number one tip you give for home staging business owners that are listening right now? Probably just bringing together a lot of the things that we've already spoken about, Cindy. And I think that as business owners of any sort, you really do have to be very brave. You have to see what you want to do and you have to be tough enough, even when the situation is challenging, just to hold on to that, just to keep doing what you're doing, to be prepared to do the difficult thing, knowing that ultimately it'll pay off and that just hang in there. I love that. Thank you so much again for being on the show today. You are absolutely incredible. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really lovely to talk to you and hopefully we'll speak again very soon. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.